You'll notice that I have three uh, highly professional and beautiful assistants this morning, and they are going to give you the flow of what we're going to do today. I just wanted to make sure you knew where we were going before we got there. You'll notice at the end we're going to begin with an introduction in which we establish our main point, by the way. And then we're going to go verse by verse. We're going to walk through the passage. Now, when we do that, we're going to come up with a lot of observations because the story is rich with meaning and with imagery, and there's just a ton of stuff we're not going to defend, we're not going to explain, and we're not really going to apply those, although we're going to touch on a bunch of things that could be like conversations, just them in and of themselves, but we're going to fly past them because we're going to circle back to our main point at the end, and we're going to end with our main point if we would. And if you could give our lovely ladies a round of applause, they would appreciate it. Thank you. I was texting these girls yesterday to ask them if they would help me do this. One of them, Jamie, I I said, look, I knew they'd be nervous about this. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to make fun of you, which I would typically do. I'm not going to ask you to sing or dance or anything. All you have to do is stand up, hold a sign, and look cute. Only for some weird reason, autocorrect changed that to loop cute. So she texts me back and she says, um... What does loop cute mean, (laughs) Pastor So, sorry, Jamie. You looped really cute. (laughs) Today, we're going to look at the angel's interaction with Mary. And in that encounter, we're going to find laid out for us a number of important principles that I said we're going to touch on. But throughout it all, we're going to point toward importance of faith. And, And that's going to be our launching point for the week. We're not going to make a reasoned argument for the reality of the events of this story because they're bizarre. We're talking about faith, but we're not going to try to prove our faith today. It's an argument to be made, but we'll do that another year. This morning, instead of proving our faith, we're going to look at the character of God-honoring faith. We're not going to prove our faith. We're going to look at the character of it and take a, a deeper dive into it. And at the end of the day, I hope we're going to have a more understanding of the makeup of God-honoring faith so that we can reach deeper in our own hearts and our devotion to Jesus. So last week, we ended our time, and if you were here, you you may remember, talking about faith. And we talked about a bicyclist and a a tightrope. And we pictured faith as going all in with God, trusting him completely. We talked about the difference between standing on the sidelines, admiring God, and believing things about God versus being in with God. And being on the bike with him, or as someone put it to me in an email follow-up this week, giving him 100%. So today, let's fill in that picture of faith a little bit. Now, again, as introduction, I've heard it said before that faith is sometimes spelled R-I-S-K. And it is. Sometimes God asks us to do things out of our comfort zone. I think of a young woman that many of us know who went on a short-term mission trip to the Dominican Republic and during her time there felt like God was telling her, I want you to change your life completely. I want you to sell everything that you have and move to the Dominican Republic and just carry my love to a little village of people who don't belong anywhere. And she did. Sometimes faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It's a risk. Sometimes faith involves tenacity, just hanging on. When we want to give in to discouragement and self-pity, instead we tenaciously cling to God. Or or when doubt feels easy, faith may involve doubting our doubts, pressing into belief, not blindly, 
but actually doing the work of faith. Or when anger is close at hand, nursing our anger feels so delectable. Faith may involve tenaciously clinging to grace and offering that grace to the object of our anger. Sometimes faith looks like tenacity. But the highlight today, to underscore, to bold, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. Always, always, faith involves surrender. Faith is about surrender. Not my will, God, but yours be done. That's the starting point for real faith. Moving deeper with God always involves an act of surrender. Faithful action is impossible without surrender. And when I say surrender, I don't mean giving up. I I don't mean quitting. I don't mean reluctantly relinquishing like a petulant child or whatever. But I mean yielding to something higher, something greater, something better, something more purposeful. Some of you have felt the press of that on your heart and lives recently. This is how God presses. He moves us to deeper levels of surrendering to him and really becoming more ourselves in the process. All right, end of elaborate introduction. Let's take this passage and walk through it step by step, and we'll circle back to this main point at the end. And we're just going to make some random observations as we walk through what Tom Bellino read for us this morning from Luke chapter 1, the interaction between Mary and the angel. So verses 26 and 27 say this. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So the sixth month refers to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We heard about that two weeks ago. Now the angel Gabriel here is only mentioned two other times in the whole Bible. Once with Zechariah, earlier in Luke chapter 1 when Zechariah is praying in the holy place, and another time in Daniel where the, the angel comes to give interpretation of this epic vision. Obviously, both of those are pretty epic contexts. So if you're just being an objective observer, you have to wonder why Gabriel has shown up here in Nazareth, visiting an insignificant young peasant girl. You know, I imagined this would be something like President-elect Trump summoning a 15-year-old girl from West Nowhere, Minnesota, to come visit him in Trump Tower. By the way, he meets him in between meeting Governor Rick Perry and Kanye West, who did go to Trump Tower and meet with Trump this week. I don't know if you saw that. Multiply the disconnect in that by about a million, and you get close to the sense of the scene. We learn two important things at the beginning of this passage. We learn, first of all, that Mary is a virgin, and we learn that Joseph is a descendant of David. Now, let's take that second one. Joseph is the descendant of David. It's a significant feature of this story in a way that no one on the scene could have anticipated. Jesus' followers will one day claim that he is the long-awaited Messiah, and in order for that to be true, he would have had to have been a descendant of David. And as for the virgin thing, that's a little harder to get our heads around, isn't it? Among the Jews, this was not, this was not an expectation of the Messiah at all. In fact, it wasn't a part of Jewish thinking at all, anywhere. So those who would like to assign this account to the category of myth have a hard time explaining where the myth came from. Why was it included unless... Perhaps it came from the mouth of the original witnesses. 
Of course, skeptical historians like to point out that there were ancient religious traditions that had virgin births as a part of their mythology, especially Assyrian and Babylonian religions. But the interesting thing is that Judaism and early Christianity break completely with those religious traditions. In fact, in every conceivable way, they denounced those religious systems as pagan. So it's difficult to imagine that they would have borrowed this idea from those religious traditions. Most theologians over the years have suggested that God wanted to demonstrate unquestionably that what was happening in Jesus was unique and that it was a movement at the hand of God Almighty. The child that would be born of Mary would not be the result of the seed of man. In the truest sense, this would be the Son of God. Okay, so for now, we'll leave it there. Now let's look at the next verse. Verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now the word translated favored here is a form of the word grace. It could literally be translated something like, Greetings, you who have been graced by God. What's going to happen here will be a work of grace. And it's a reminder to us that God's work in us is always a work of grace. There were other virgins in Nazareth, much less throughout Israel, but God has graciously chosen Mary. And where grace is applied, boasting is eliminated. You know, parents have a tendency to want to boast about their children. You know the old joke, and before you accuse me of indelicacy, I first heard this joke from a Jewish mother. What does Mary have in common with other Jewish moms? Well, she worries about her son, and she believes he's the son of God. So... What happens here is evidence of grace. Now let's read the next verse, verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I love John Piper's reaction to Mary's reaction. John Piper says this, I would wager that you have discovered in your own life that grace does not always come with a welcome face. The highest and most precious gifts of God do not always come to us as in attractive colors. Grace can perplex. Grace can frighten. The grace of healing may have the face of a hypodermic needle or a surgeon's knife. The grace of patience may have the face of pain. The grace of humility may have the face of defeat. Oh, how we need to learn from Mary not to lash out at God for the frightening forms of grace Instead, like her, we ought to wait and consider in our minds how this strange event might be grace. All right, now let's read the next section. And I'm going to ask, if you would, let's go old school. Stand with me out of reverence for God's word. We're not going to get to the end, but we're going to get right next to it. And we'll finish up this verse-by-verse tally. We're starting in verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God again. Tease up the idea of the gracious activity of God, God's grace involved in this. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so let me just offer a list of what we learned here about Jesus. And again, we'll scroll through this quickly. Number one, Mary will give him the name Jesus. And let's remind ourselves, this was not only a good Jewish name, but this name also meant Savior. And there were already some well-known heroes in the story of Israel who had had this name. He will be given the name Jesus. Secondly, he will be great. This is a foundational truth for us, for those of us who are Christians. The Christian who is ashamed of Jesus is like a candle being ashamed of the sun. We sing songs about this. We promote this idea. This is the cornerstone, not only of our belief, but of our very lives. We've invested everything in this notion that Jesus is great. Through Jesus, God created the world. He is the exact representation of the Father. All things hold together in him. Jesus is great. Third thing we learn, he will be called the Son of the Most High. Unimaginably, this is a declaration that God in Jesus is about to squeeze himself into human skin. Now, it's true that there are places where we are called sons and daughters of God, but clearly the angel means something far more is at work here than is at work in us. We see proof of this later in Jesus' life when demons encounter Jesus and they recognize something profoundly different in him. They call him Son of the Most High and they beg him to leave them alone. Jesus is the Son of God, eternally one with the Father, true God, true man. The fourth thing we learn, he will be the Messiah promised to the descendants of Abraham. In this sense, Jesus is what the entire Old Testament points to. This is why we read the Old Testament. On every page of the Old Testament, there is writ, sometimes large, sometimes subtly, an indication that Jesus will be what we're here talking about. Fifth, his kingdom will never end. I hope you and I realize what this means. This means that Jesus is actively ruling right now over my life, over my home, over Northern Virginia, over America, over the world, over reality as we know it. His kingdom will never end. And the sixth thing we learned is that all of this happened, or from Mary's perspective, is about to happen through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Quick word about this. The Holy Spirit has often been called the shy member of the Trinity. His ministry is to point away from himself to the awesomeness of God the Son and the greatness of God the Father. When Jesus promised the Spirit in John 16, he said this, The Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. One commentary said of that, When we look toward the Spirit, he steps back and pushes Jesus Christ forward. Therefore, if we want to be empowered by the Spirit, we've got to pursue him indirectly. We will look to worship Jesus Christ, and we will discover how to surrender more and more of our lives to the will and glory of God. If we look away from Jesus and seek the Spirit and his power directly, we will always be in danger of getting mired down in our own subjective emotions. 
We can easily get caught in the dangerous practice of looking for every wisp of emotion or circumstance and wondering what it means. The Spirit's desire is not to reveal himself. His desire is to reveal the power of God and the greatness of Jesus. All right. Verse by verse, I told you there was a lot in there. We flew by it. Now let's end where we began and wrap up. Always, always, faith, God-honoring faith, always, always, God-honoring faith, always is about surrender. Not my will, but yours be done, God. That's the starting point for real faith. Moving deeper with God always involves another act of surrender. Moving deeper with God always involves another act of surrender. There will be something that you will let go of, or there will be some repentance that you come to or that you're forced to. Always. Faith involves another act of surrender. Faithful action is impossible without surrender. Now, a couple of weeks ago, the worship team sent around an obnoxious chain of emails in which they were creating a list of their least favorite Christmas songs. And there are some bad ones. And topping the list was Christmas Shoes, which they all agreed was ridiculously sappy, and some of you love it, they hate it. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas, which I've never heard. And Grandma Got Runned Over by a Reindeer also made the list. I think it was somebody mentioned Santa Baby, and I think it was Jordan that chimed in. I think there's stuff in that song that's not even legal. But they also made a list of good Christmas songs, songs that they love, their favorites. One of my favorite Christmas songs is Mary, Did You Know? Yes, it's everybody's favorite song. (laughs) Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new, your baby boy? The child that you've delivered will will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God? No. Mary didn't know any of that. (laughs) Mary had no idea. She was a young girl. In all likelihood, she knew the Old Testament the way many of our fifth graders know it. She had ideas and notions, but... No real substance, not any theological sophistication, and even if she had had, she wouldn't have known. The most theologically astute scholars of Jesus' day, in fact, pretty much missed him, mostly so. What she knew is that God had chosen her. He had spoken to her and given her specific instructions. And she knew what to do when that happens. Mary knew what to do. When God presses on your heart, Mary knew what to do when God speaks a word to you. The same thing Jesus himself did in the Garden of Gethsemane. The same thing King David did when the prophet Nathan rebuked him. The same thing thousands of people in Jerusalem did when they heard Peter tell them the full truth about Jesus. The same thing Moses did when he saw the strangest bush on the planet and literally heard the voice of God. 
The same thing that a young Samuel did when he heard a strange voice. The same thing Abraham did when he was convinced that God had literally asked him to leave everything he knew. Mary didn't know what was coming, but she knew who did know. And she surrendered. And today, today, you and I don't know. You don't know who you'll marry or if. You don't know whether or not cancer will return. You don't know that your son will be just fine. You don't know if your boss will let you go or not. You don't know. But you know who knows. And you know what you need to do. You need to surrender. You don't need to figure it out. You can't. You need to surrender. This Christmas, in the midst of the hustle and bustle that Ray referred to, the lights and the presence, the crazy moments, and the warm ones, let's move beyond sentimentality. Let's move to surrender. Spiritual growth, spiritual growth always looks like taking the next step. I'm going to say that again. Spiritual growth, no matter where you are, no matter what's up with you, what stage in life you're at, spiritual growth always looks like taking the next step. It doesn't look like you figuring out how to become Mother Teresa. It doesn't look like you figuring out how to become the the holiest person you know. Spiritual growth always looks like taking the next step. And the next step is always surrender. It's a deeper surrender. The more that we know of ourselves, giving to the more and more that we know of him. So today, I'm talking to people for whom there is a worry that you need to let go of. There is a fear that you need to give to God. There is an anger or a desire that is not God's best for you. Surrender. Always. Faith is about surrender. Let's pray. This morning, Lord, we give you every bit of our heart that we're aware of. There are today, Lord, worries about our future or specifically our finances. For some of us, about our children, about our health. There is a worry. There is a burden. Today, Lord, we surrender to you. We give it up. Father, for some of us, there is some set of circumstances that we are trying to control. Something relationally. Some project. Something that needs to be done. We're convinced. We really, we're kind of convinced we can plan our way there. We surrender. We let go. We do our best now, God, to give it to you. Some of us, Father, are contemplating something that is not your best for us. A dark direction in a relationship. Some new way of being a petulant child or feeling sorry for ourselves. 
This morning we surrender. We let go. Jesus, we want to honor you this morning and brag about you as extraordinary, extraordinary baby born in Bethlehem and eventually grew into the man who would become the center of our lives, who would occupy the center of the universe. So this morning we surrender all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you and we ask that you would be at the heart at the center of who we are of what we do of where we're headed of our plans of our dreams of our desires that it would be about you we surrender